This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. and welcome to the Lung Science Podcast. My name is Eric Morell, and I am an assistant professor in the Division of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Medicine at the University of Washington. With me to discuss what is the Human Lung Cell Atlas is Martine Nauwein, who is a professor in functional genetics of chronic respiratory diseases at the University Medical Center in Groningen. Dr. Nauwein received his undergraduate degree at Wageningen University in the Netherlands. He did internships at Imperial College in London and earned his PhD at Erasmus Medical College, where he studied the role of GATA3 in regulating cell fate decisions during T-cell differentiation. He completed postdoctoral training at Columbia University in the United States and the Netherlands Cancer Institute. He's been on faculty at the University Medical Center in Groningen since 2013. His research interests include studying the molecular mechanisms of asthma and COPD. Most relevant to our talk today, Dr. Nowin led the Lung Bionetwork of the Human Lung Cell Atlas Consortium. Dr. Nowin, thank you very much for joining us. So the first question is, you know, many of us in the audience have heard of the Human Lung Cell Atlas, but don't really understand what it is, how to access it, and how to think about how it might help us in our research. Could you give us a brief overview of what the Human Lung Cell Atlas is? Yes, of course. Thanks, Eric, first of all, for the invitation to, to contribute to the podcast. I am really excited to be here. The Human Lung Cell Atlas, in its core, is a data set, a reference data set that we can use to try and ask questions about the transcriptional phenotype of individual cells. And it really aims to be a standard reference that allows you to look at all the different cell types that can be found in healthy human lung, but also in diseased human lung, and then to look at their transcriptional features. And at this moment, it's only RNA, so it's only transcriptional, but the Atlas aspires in future iterations to also add epigenetic features or proteome features and also have a more interactive sort of interface. So at the current, the human cell atlas is really a, a database or a data set that you can query for individual cell types where you would want to know what sort of genes these express, where are they located, what are the features but also for individual genes, asking which cells do these, you know, do express these genes and where is the expression of this gene really relevant. So to help you design research projects or to help you move forward in your research project, if you're already studying a specific pathway. What is the main difference? You know, I know there's different, you know, there's things like GEO where many people will deposit their transcriptomic data. There's the lung map, there's the Chan Zuckerberg, there's various different reference data sets. And I think some of us have a hard time navigating what is what. What are, Could you kind of explain what some of the different distinctions are between some of those different reference data yeah, sets? Absolutely. So it's good to realize that some of these data sets try to do the same thing, but are coming from parallel initiatives. So the NIH supports LungMap and the HubMap, which is also a very active community. And they, both these networks try to make single cell atlases of different organs. Of course, lung map is focused on lung and, you know, we as respiratory scientists know lung map very well. It has been around for a long time and it's an important resource. HubMap tries to cover all the other organs as well. 
And then there's non-NIH supported initiatives, such as the Human Cell Atlas Initiative, which is a global initiative supported by, for instance, the MRC, the UK and the European Union in the EU. And Chen Zuckerberg Initiative also supports the HCA very much. And also the HCA, so the Human Cell Atlas Initiative, tries to make a map of all the different organs and try to identify all cell types in those organs. So for lung, we actually have three or four parallel initiatives, lung map, hub map, and the human cell atlas, which all try to do more or less the same thing. For now, at this moment, these also have their own interfaces. So the, the, the data sets are separate and the publications are separate. So there's a lot of happening in parallel. If you would want to query the atlas, basically that you can use the lung map website or you can use the human cell atlas website. These two both allow you to query the data and to look at your gene of interest or your pathway of interest or your cell type of interest and look at how is this cell type changing with age or with location in the lung or with disease. We are trying clearly to bring these things together because at the end of the day, nobody wants to have two or three different reference atlases. This is just silly. And we really try within lung very actively. We really try to bring the lung map efforts and the human cell atlas efforts together and come to a single sort of reference atlas. Of course, this will take time, but I'm sure that, you know, eventually we'll get there. Oh, that's very helpful. I guess, yeah, no, that, that's very, very helpful. From an operational standpoint, you mentioned there's an interface, and I've gone to some of these, and uh, they have various degrees of functionality, you know, depending on which reference data set. Are there other ways that you think these projects, specifically the Human Lung Cell Atlas that you work on, ways that we as researchers could leverage these tools besides just online? I mean, it looks like we can download the data sets, but are there teams that you would encourage us to reach out to? Are there ways that individuals collaborate? Are grant proposals, those types of things, or is it mainly kind of a repository that people can reference in their science? Yeah, that's that's a great point. I think, you know, in its essence, it's a data set that you can download and use, and it's an extremely rich data set. So the extended human lung cell atlas that was published just a few months ago has data for 4 million cells from over 400 individuals with all kinds of diseases in there. So it had the richness of this data set where you can look at the, the transcriptional phenotype of your self-interest across ages, across ethnicities or ancestries, across diseases. How does it change with, you know, if you have COPD, how does this epithelial, every epithelial cell change its behavior, for instance? Though it's, it's a reference data set that you can use to start to answer these sort of questions. In that sense, it's, it's really very rich. To be able to do this, you can access online tools like the Chen Zuckerberg supported Celex gene browsers. And even on the Chen Zuckerberg website, you can find an interface that allow you to start answering some of these questions. But to really dive into the data, you need to download it. And it's, it's freely available, so you can just download the object and then start to play with it and merge your own data in with it in your own setting so that you can use the consensus labels that the Atlas provides so that we all use the same language to describe cell types, for instance, and to really start doing detailed analysis. Of course, if you want to do that, you need to have either bioinformatics support 
or you need to have the skills yourself because this, you know, this comes down to working in Python or working in R and running all kinds of bioinformatics scripts that if you're a wet lab biologist, like I was trained originally, it's not straightforward to do. So you, you need to team up with a good computational biologist. Now, the other aspect that you mentioned and that you, that you asked for is, is there a funding mechanism or is there collaborations? Can we, can we move this forward, right? Can we use it for your own research? And it's what we did to generate this atlas. This was a, a mechanism that where Chen Zuckerberg initiative funding and for us, the European Commission funding in EU was very important for large networks to get together and start building the, these atlases that we now see appearing in literature. So the funding mechanisms are in place and for very specific questions, they're still there, right? So there's currently, you would have the opportunity to reach out and start building a consortium maybe about aging of the lung, where you, know, you can use these data and, 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 and build a consortium. Usually it works well if you have a, a number of groups involved to, in conjunction with an atlas, add your own data and do advanced analyses and then really learn something about how does, you know, this one specific cell change during aging or, you know, what effect in COPD, for instance, this is very relevant. What effect of this disease cell state is dependent on age and what are the changes that are dependent on the disease and, you know, which one should we try to address therapeutically, for instance. So there's a lot of opportunities that it, it offers, but at the moment, the funding mechanisms that support it, you know, are closed or are running. And same for LungMap. And, I, you know, LungMap is an ongoing program within NIH funding. And we, you know, for the HCA, that is, that is sort of the same situation. You've given a lot, so that's very helpful. Thank you. You've given a lot of examples of how many of us could leverage these data sets in our research. Are there any important limitations to not only the human lung cell atlas, but to these reference sets in, in general that we should be aware about? You had mentioned, you know, there isn't epigenetic data as of yet. Are there mm -hmm. other things that we should be aware of or think about? Yeah. Absolutely. So, so that's that's a great point. The atlas is limited in at this moment. I mean, we do have single cell data in the atlas of over 400 individuals. So that's a lot of individuals, if you think about it. But if you start looking at the effect of age, for instance, or the effect of the location where the sample is taken within the lung or the effect of disease, then the number of, of samples that you can use for that is limited, which means that the different covariates, in a sense, are not fully independent of each other. For instance, if you want to look at the effect of smoking, then we do have smoking information for all samples, so you can start to analyze that, but clearly Age is an important factor here because, you know, PEC years increase with age if you're, if you're an active smoker. And we don't have sufficient numbers of samples to really be able to analyze those effects independently from each other. So you, can, you cannot say this effect is corrected for age and purely driven by cigarette smoke exposure, for instance. That we cannot do yet. We just don't have enough numbers. So that will come with iterations of the atlas that will be released later. The other thing that is really very important, also area of very active enrichment of the atlas at this moment, is uh, the fact that the current atlas is highly overrepresented for white male donors. 
So we have a dominance of, of white donors. So the ancestry analysis is limited. We have a limited range of, of, of all the ancestries that we want to have in the atlas. So we try to actively find data sets where people have done single cell profiling on other ancestries than white. And if you have those data sets, please reach out because you'll be prioritized to be included in the next iteration of the atlas if that's what you would like to do, of course. There's also a dominance of male over female. So we really need to be wary of this. We, and this is, this is just that the Atlas reflects where most of the research, because we are just dependent on the research projects being done, right? So we, we ingest data from, from a lot of different labs. And I think we need to be better. We need to do better at this. We need to have much more different ancestries into the Atlas. A wider age range. We hardly have pediatric samples. We hardly have like the really old people. Just have an age range of between 20 and say 60 to 65. That's that we know. We have good coverage there, but everything younger and everything older we don't have. And then finally, the cell type annotations. That's also a major limitation at this moment. The Annotations in the human cell atlas, so the HCA atlas that I'm referring to, were, cons were based on a consensus between six research groups. And getting consensus about what to call these different cell types is a major effort where at this moment there's active collaboration between LOMAP and HubMap and the HCA groups and, you know, just experts in the field to try and get this together. And we're hoping to have a workshop at the ATS next year to really get this together and make sure that we can have one publication and one reference where we say, these are the consensus cell types. Because currently, some cell types, especially when they're disease associated or when they're, you know, have not been studied into great detail in the past, people just invent names. I mean, I've done the same. And you, because you need to describe the cell type that you observe in your data, but then, we get 20 different names for the same cell type. And of course, we need to get rid of this, this, this confusion in the field. So the current atlas, the, the HLCA, so the, the HCA Griffin Atlas, has consensus you know, based on six, six groups. So we had some discussion. We feel that these labels or these cell type names are useful, but they are not aligned with lung map um, systematics, for instance, at this moment. So that's what we are actually trying to to achieve for the near future. But when you use these data, it's really important to realize this, that the names we use, of course, for an alveolar type two epithelial cell, an AT2 cell, everybody will say it's an AT2 cell and we know. But then if you have the subsets of that, like an AT0 cell or this pre-terminal bronchial secondary cell, there's different names out there in literature that might, may or may not be used. And then the confusion hits. So be aware that some of the finer grained cell type labels might be up for revision or might need to be harmonized with other data sets still. Yeah, the annotation thing is a huge, massive yep. source of confusion for everyone in this age of single cell. How many diseases, I haven't, out of those 400 individuals, you had said, you know, how many different diseases are represented? Were most of them healthy participants yeah. or are they? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good thing. So the majority of the data is from healthy because the original aim of the Human Cell Atlas Consortium, so trying to map all cell in the human body, is to do that for healthy first. So the majority of the cells is from healthy donors, but we did ingest data also from disease because 
you know, it, there's so much research going on on disease, right? If you only limit yourself to healthy, then you're you're truly only a reference. Whereas now, the, because we do have disease data sets in there as well, people can actually start using this data set as a source data set to start answering some, you know, generate preliminary data, answer some questions, and then go for true disease angle. So that's, we thought it was very relevant to do for the impact of the Atlas. Now, the diseases we have in there is incomplete at this moment. We don't have everything, but we do have IPF. We have a lot of COVID data, clearly, because there was a lot of data generated around COVID. We have IPF and some other fibrotic diseases. The things we don't have, for instance, is asthma, which is my personal favorite. But we, there's just there was when we generated this data set, there was just too little data out there to do a meaningful analysis. So we kept asthma out of it. It will be in the next iteration. So yeah, the, the interesting thing that you can do with these disease data sets is really take one cell type and then ask, how is this cell type changed in disease? But since we have multiple diseases in there, you can even ask, how is this cell type changed in these different diseases? And are there overlaps? And the interesting thing, which I found, you know, I, I would not have done this analysis, but the PhD student in Fabian Thesis group in Munich, who was the first author on this, on this paper, she said, I'd like to try and find disease-associated cell states that are conserved across diseases. Just try and see whether we can find those, because this atlas is the first time we can do this. And she took the monocyte-derived macrophages, so an inflammatory sort of cell, which you would expect to be present in multiple diseases. And then she asked, if we take this cell and we just pull it out of the atlas, so just look at only this cell and then ask, you know, do we see subsets of cells and are these subsets disease-associated? And indeed you do. So there's one or two subsets that you always observe in healthy. And then there's a few subsets that you observe mainly in disease. And then she looked at, you know, is there overlap between diseases? And to our surprise, we saw that, for instance, there's a subset of monocyte-derived macrophages that you find in IPF, so fibrotic disease, but also in COVID patients that had been on the ventilator forever, so the long-term COVID patients. I mean, it's not long COVID, it's just patients, COVID patients that had been in the ICU for a long time. And these monocyte-derived macrophages express programs that we know from mouse models that contribute to fibrotic disease. So there's this, this pro-fibrotic uh, monocyte-derived macrophage that you see in multiple diseases. I, I thought this was really very surprising and interesting finding because if anywhere you would like to target any fibrotic disease, you know, these are the cell types that you might want to start playing with. And, you know, there's other cell types that we haven't looked at because we didn't have the time. So there's a lot of, of analyses and, and, and uh, interesting science that people can still do by just downloading this data set and start to play with it. And I'm sure people are doing it at the moment. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. It's amazing. Yeah, sometimes the that fibrosis repair sort of two sides of the same coin thing is very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was very helpful. It sounds like some of the next steps in this field and for lung map list are certainly expanding the representation, so population, expanding the types of analyses, so epigenetics, th things like that, epigenetic information, and then also trying to kind of corral the whole field in terms of annotations and then just different data sets so that there's sort of more uniformity and standardization in the field. Are there any other big things on the horizon? I mean, those are pretty big things. <laughs> are those kind of yes. big next steps? 
<laughs> yeah, sometimes I feel like we've taken up a little bit more than we can chew. It's uh, it's a bit much sometimes. But there's two other things that really need to to happen in my mind. One is have a user interface that is more user friendly in the sense that you would be able to by point and click sort of interactions do meaningful analyses. Now you can you know you can query for genes in the Chen Zuckerberg Celex gene sort of, of website or you can download it and do it in the UCSC UCSD cell browser, etc. I mean there are ways to work with it, but it still requires some skill and if you want to do meaningful analysis it requires quite some competence in computational methods so i think that needs to improve to make sure that everybody can use it that's one but more importantly is that the current data set also the ones we're ingesting at the moment are all based on cell suspensions you get your samples in you process your lung tissue into individual cells and then you profile or just single cell rna sequencing or you do the, the you know uh, you take along atex seq or you do other epigenetic markers or you do proteome but it's still cell suspension of course cells don't live in suspension in the lung they sit in a very well-defined structure that is critical to their identity and what we're studying here is cell identity if anything so the next big change to the atlas not just doing multi-omics but the, which will really be groundbreaking change in my mind is adding the spatial aspect to it so linking all the single cell data that we currently have to spatial transcriptomic data and making an interface where you can actually query that in a meaningful way and no, that's that's the tricky part i've been taught by the computational biologist because i like to i'm not a computational biologist i just say you know like to say these are the things we need to do can you please solve this and then you know they'll sigh and say yeah well that's going to take a bit of effort and a bit of time and we you know we'll be going back and forth because what you want is just not possible which you know is fair enough but i i think adding the spatial transcriptomic data is really going to be the next, like next generation sort of atlases. These will really make a huge effort because it, it will help increase the resolution at which we can get answers yet again. Yeah, absolutely. Extremely exciting over the next couple of years. Dr. Nowin, thank you so thank much. You it was wonderful to today. hear your perspective this on this. And thanks for all your science podcast was brought to you really by the American thing. Journal of Respiratory thank Cell and Molecular Biology. If you would like to listen to more episodes of the podcast series, please visit atsjournals.org or subscribe to the Lung Science Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.